Okay, how many of y'all are here tonight? Uh, Pastor uh, and Michelle asked me to come and minister oh, maybe once a month on a Sunday night. And, and um, I told them I would uh, pray about it, and I felt led to do it. And uh, we'll just start with tonight and see how it goes. And I'll teach, I'm going to start teaching on a series of, uh, on ownership. And uh, we're always blessed to be here, even though Michelle wanted me to come. She left town, so <laughs> I don't know uh, how that goes. Uh, but let me make a little uh, clarification here. This, this is the only material we have on ownership, and this was taught at our church. Uh, whoo. I first started teaching this March of 1999. So that's how long ago this is you know, existed. So I don't know what's on there. So if you uh, get in there and you don't like it or it doesn't fit, just bring it back and and we won't give you your money back. <laughs> um, I want to do something that uh, I haven't done in a long time. Um, I would like to teach on this subject, ownership, and it, it'll take quite a while to teach it, uh, maybe through the summer. No, I'm just kidding you, but uh, it'll take more than one time to teach it. Uh, so if you can come, I don't know what the next Sunday night will be. I hadn't confirmed it yet, but um, pastor will let you know. And I told him, I said, I'd just like to, you know, teach for about an hour. Um, Praise God. Yeah. <laughs> Praise God. Okay. That's, that's, of course, that's no reflection upon uh, Pastor uh, Steele. Uh, but sometimes uh, we can retain more. I'm doing something I've never done before, so let me get at it here. Sometimes we can retain more uh, if we're sitting for a shorter amount of time. Um, I would like to uh, make a prelude uh to what I'm teaching tonight, and I, I brought my uh, one of my volumes, and Michelle helped me do this years ago. Uh, this is uh, most of the messages that I preached over 35 years. I have 10 of these volumes here, and I deal with all kinds of subjects, authority, identity, confession, the tongue, ownership, prayer, etc. So I'm going to teach out of this, so don't, I'm not going to teach all of this <laughs> tonight. <coughs> But I'd like for you to turn um, in your Bibles, if I can figure out how to get this thing to work. Okay. To James chapter 5, and I'm going to do just a little preliminary or prelude, as I call it, uh, to the message tonight, because I think it's interesting, uh, interesting enough that we know <clears throat> what's going on. Um, the return of the Lord. Y'all know what the return of the Lord is? Yes, sir. Uh, I'm not talking about the rapture. I'm talking about the second coming of Christ. The rapture precedes the second coming. The rapture is when the church is caught out. The second coming is when Jesus comes back uh, to set up his kingdom. Uh, the return of the Lord, what is God waiting for? Why aren't we already raptured out? What's, what's the holdup? This is a question some people have. Go to James chapter 5, and let's look at verses 7 and 8. Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. As I mentioned now, this is the second coming. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient. Patience is in short supply in our culture today. Everything's uh, instant. Yeah. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. So he says, he's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. I'm glad he waited for me. Amen. 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 Yes, sir. Now go over to Second Peter, and let's look at chapter 2. Now these, these are answers from the scriptures. This will help you. Uh, in your patience. <clears throat> in uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, 
uh, excuse me, chapter 3, let's read verses 8 and 9. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, we have to be patient, waiting, and I'm, this is where ownership comes in. We have to take ownership of our responsibility and our assignment. But then he said that he, uh, you know, doesn't want anybody to perish. So he's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. Actually, you could say it this way. He's waiting for us to get on with it and winning the lost, laying hands on the sick, casting out devils. He's waiting for us to do our, do, our duty. Uh, anybody here ever heard of uh, Catherine Kuhlman uh, back in the 70s? Uh, she was uh, very instrumental in, in healing. Uh, and Benny Hinn used to work for her. And uh, we went to two of her um, meetings one time in St. Louis. And she made this statement. She said, if the, uh, she said, if the Baptists ever get filled with the Holy Ghost, they'll win the rest of the world. But unfortunately... The Baptists have kind of slacked off. I was talking to a dear friend of mine who pastored a long time, possibly longer than I have. Uh, he's, uh, I won't mention his name, but he's very prominent in the Baptist denomination. And he's on our board at VTN, and we were visiting before the board meeting started. And I said, what's going on? And he said, well, he said, I'm real concerned about the Baptist." I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, he said, they're getting into Calvinism. He said, there are little pockets of them, little groups of them here that are getting into Calvinism. Well, if you don't know what Calvinism is, Calvinism and fatalism are twins. Mm -hmm. It basically means that God's got your life already set out for you. You're just a pawn on the checkerboard, and He moves you wherever He wants you to move. And everything that happens to you is the will of God. Now, we have some of that already today in the extreme God sovereignty teaching, which is neither scriptural, is not scriptural either. Okay, so the return of the Lord. What is God waiting for? He's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth, and He's not willing that any should perish. Uh, go over to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 37. Now, this, this will help you when you're wondering what's going on when you... Uh, watch the news and you, um, you know, hear fake news, false information. I like Sarah Huckabee's commercial. You've seen it. Sarah Sanders running for governor. And she said she has learned as press secretary in all of her political dealings to say no, to say no to abortion, to say no to uh, that. And uh, all of a sudden, you see, her kids are in the living room watching TV. And the little boy says, Mama, they're watching CNN. She says, No, and clicks the station off. You know. <laughs> so there are all kinds of things that are going on, and we need to know where we fit in, what time is it, what's going on. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37, Yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. But that little while has been a long time. <laughs> now the just shall live by faith. So what are we supposed to be doing in that little while? Living by faith. <coughs> let's go over to Romans 4. And let's look at the word of the Lord concerning uh, Abraham. Romans 4.13. For the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So the promise to Abraham that he was to be what? Heir of the world. Now let me give you a little clue. When we start on ownership, 1999, I woke up early in the morning and the Spirit of God said to me, it's not about running after the devil to get back what he's stolen. Now, we'll pick that up in Proverbs 6. 
It's about ownership. It's not about running after the devil to get back what he's stolen. It's about ownership. It's about who owns the earth. Who is in charge? Who is in control? Who owns the earth? And you'll see that the Bible plainly states God created it all, but He gave the earth to the children of men. Okay, let's go to another scripture. Galatians 3.29, how do we fit into all of this? Okay, we see that the promise that was made to Abraham was that he was to be heir of the world. Well, that's good for Abraham, but what about us? Galatians 3.29, if you're Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We're going to talk about ownership means joint heirs with Christ, taking ownership of what He has given you. You know, I've had many ministers argue with me. I'll take that back. Not many, but a few ministers argue with me. We don't own anything. They take Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So God owns it all. We don't own anything. We're just stewards or we're just servants. We're certainly not owners. I had a guy on my TV program one time, and that was his main theme. And I was caught right there like a deer in the headlights, and he was really preaching, we don't own anything, it's all God's, and blah, 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 blah. And I said, that's a nice-looking suit you got on, man. I said, where did you get that? He told me. I said, well, is that your suit? He said, well, of course it is. I said, you own it? He said, yes. Yeah. <laughs> he owned that suit. Somebody asked Brother Copeland one time, said, Brother Copeland, how does it feel to fly around in God's airplane? He said, I don't know. I've never been in God's airplane. He said, well, don't, isn't that God's airplane? He said, no, that one's mine. Yeah. <laughs> See, God flies 186,000 miles a second. He don't need an airplane. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can, you can make a mountain out of a molehill if you want to, but I think you're going to see that there is a legitimacy of us taking ownership of what God has given us. Okay, where are we in time? What's happening in our culture? We are not in World War III. You will never see World War III. Now, I know I see it on the news. We're in World War III. Or Putin's going to start World War III. You know, you know the, the war for the Russians hadn't been going too good. Because the Ukrainians, they, they stand up for their country. They've taken ownership right. of their country and their land, and they're not going to give it up. They just soon, you know, die as to lose their country. <laughs> Remember the Alamo. I mean, that's the attitude that, that we should have as believers, as Christians. Uh, we are not in World War III, and we are not going to be in World War III. Hilton Sutton wrote a book in 1982. And he titled it World War III. But the first few pages, he makes it very clear. What he is calling World War III is God's conquest of Russia. When Russia invades Israel from the north, God is going to fight for Israel. Amen. And God said in Ezekiel 38 and 39, I am against you, O Gog and Magog, Meshach and Tubal, which defines the principalities over Russia. It defines the geo uh, geographical region of Russia. So Russia is, you know, th this is not the first time that uh, Putin has ever uh, invaded uh, a neighboring country. He's done this before. And very unstable. And lest you think, oh, what are we going to do? I mean, he can shoot nuclear warheads, and he can do this and do that. And what if he goes to biological and chemical warfare? My brother and sister, I served in the Navy six years, two years at sea on two different ships. The United States Navy has submarines that are out there in the ocean that can fire nuclear weapons and hit any town or city in Moscow, in Russia. They don't have the greatest army. America still has the greatest army on, on the planet. Now, nobody wants to go to war. War is not all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> you know, they've glorified it and horrified it and all that, but the church company is not going anywhere into World War III. Amen. We're going up yes, sir. at the rapture, the catching away Hallelujah. of the church. Now then, 
as Russia invades Israel from the north, there might be what people would call World War III. But as far as you and me, we are not going into World War III. Amen. Well, what is happening, Pastor? What? We've never seen anything like this. Well, there's two scriptures that tell us where we are and what's going on. Matthew 24, 3 through 8. It says there will be wars and rumors of wars. So when you're watching the 5, 6, 10 o'clock news and they start talking about this war and that war and invading and whatever, you just remember Jesus said you would hear of wars and rumors of wars. Say that out loud. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. But the end is not yet. And then last, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 17, and I won't take time to read all of it. We are not in World War III, but we are in perilous times. Amen. That's what Paul said. Right. He said, in the last days there will be perilous times, <laughs> dangerous times. Well, we're certainly living in dangerous times today, are we not? Amen. Okay, now that's the end of the, that's the conclusion of the prelude. So let's go to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. You may have heard this. Um, I've heard it so many times. Uh, and we, we take things at face value a lot of times without even uh, <clears throat> bothering to read them ourselves. Uh, you can raise your hand if you have heard this. When you catch a thief, make him pay back seven times what he's stolen. And I've heard that so many times. And, and one night I'd gone to bed. I'd, I'd heard a message on it. And I agree. You, you catch a thief. Uh, and usually it's referencing the devil. And the devil steals from you. You make him pay back seven times. But I woke up the next morning and all of a sudden I heard the voice of the Lord say, it's not about running after the devil to get back what he's stolen. It's about ownership. Meaning, I didn't call you to be on the defensive. I called you to be on the offensive. And if you spend all your time running after the devil to try and get back what he's stolen from you, you'll never fulfill my assignment in preaching the gospel of the world, laying hands on the sick, raising the dead, etc., he said, it's not about running after the devil to get back what he's stolen. It's about ownership. The law of empowerment. Ownership is the law of empowerment. When you get a revelation of ownership, it will empower you. If you think you're just a steward and a servant and you don't own anything, there's no incentive for you to do anything. How many of you, you may be living in a rent house now, but how many of you ever lived in a rent house or apartment or stayed in a hotel or whatever, it's not yours. Right. Now, we've done that, and there's a certain benefit. You live in somebody else's house, and usually the rental contract, they take care of all things. You know, the hot water tank blows up, they'll fix it. The roof leaks, they'll fix it. You don't have any responsibility. And that's what's happened to the church. They think they're just stewards. You know, we don't own nothing. God owns it all, and we're just being good stewards. Well, there's Scripture that talks about stewardship. Well, let me just say this uh, a little early. Stewardship and being a servant is what you do. An owner and a son right. is who you are. That's, right. That's how you determine the difference. You got born into the kingdom of God. You became an heir and a joint heir with Christ. You, you have become a son and a daughter of God. Okay? A steward manages either what they own or what somebody else owns. And the Bible talks about stewards are going to be judged as how they managed what God gave to them. You know, one guy got ten talents, another one got five talents, another one got two talents, and God rewarded the, the story. The Lord rewarded them for what they did with what they were given. Stewardship is what you do with what you have. <clears throat> Several years ago, I was doing a meeting with Brother Jerry down in uh, Texas. And there was a couple there, and uh, Jerry knew them. They were members of his church back when he had a church, uh, his first church. <clears throat> and they asked us to come out. It was me and Jerry and Ed Dufresne and Buddy, I think it was for us. Asked if we would come out and pray for their hogs. They were pig farmers. 
And, of course, we said, yeah, we will. So we went out there to the farm. And it was a pig farm, all right. <laughs> and uh, we went out and prayed for the pigs. They had some kind of disease. And then we came into the house, and the wife was going to fix us, you know, a cup of coffee or something like that, and said, just go on in the dining room and, and have a seat. I have never seen so much filth. It was hard to determine whether you were still in the pig pen or you were in the house. The seats at the dining room table had a crust on them about that thick. Everything was filthy. It was dirty. The house was unkept. The furniture was all beat up. Whew. I thought, this is terrible. You didn't even want, you didn't even want to sit down at the table on, on those chairs. And they were praying and believing and asking Brother Jerry and the different ones that, to pray for them to get to prosper. Well, you can't prosper and ask God to prosper and bless you if you're not going to take care of what you already have. If, if you're going to prosper and, and God's going to give you more, you've got to take care of what he's already given you. What have you done with what he's already given you? What have you done with your assignment? What have you done with uh, your, your finances, your prosperity? What have you done with uh, uh, what he's given you? Okay. And uh, let's go to the scripture here now in Proverbs 6 and verse 31. Well, let's go to verse 30 because this is what we hear. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he's hungry. Now, all of this can be... Uh, followed in the book of Exodus 22 because this is referring to laws of restitution in the Old Covenant under the law. Men don't despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his soul when he's hungry. And you know, if you, if you stole a man's ox, you had to pay him back double. If you stole a man's this or that, or if you just uh, borrowed something and it got destroyed while it was in your possession, you have to re restore, you have to make restitution. But if, if a man is so hungry and he's starving and he comes and he steals some turnips out of your patch, he said, you know, don't despise him. He's hungry. He's, he's trying to, you know, to live. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. Now, there's all kinds of restoration in, in the book of Exodus. There's four, four fourfold, there's double, there's all kinds of things. And even it says that sometimes the sevenfold will refer to seven different incidences. If he, if he stole them from you seven times, you make him pay back sevenfold. If he be found, make him restore sevenfold, he shall give all the substance of his house. Now that's under the laws of restitution. But out of that, we have kind of formed this to fit our narrative of we're going to get Satan to pay back seven times what he's stolen from us. If Satan steals from you, make him pay seven times. I don't think there's very many Christians that have enough faith to make Satan pay back seven times. Have you ever been in a service where they prayed, and I, I walk on eggshells here because I don't know whether you've ever done this here. <laughs> Have you ever received the offering or received uh, money and you pray over it? I used to do this and say, Lord, because I heard somebody else do it. I said, Lord, we received this offering and we thank you that it will be used only for the kingdom of God and Satan will never have use of it again and it will blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, you know, you're going to go right down to the service station and put gas in your car. You're going to pay that money to Exxon or Shell or whatever and they're going to use it for the devil. You go into a restaurant and eat, and you're going to pay those people, and the person at the table waited on you, and you're going to give them a tip of $20, and they're going to go out and get drunk. Uh -huh. yes, sir. So a lot of times we pray things and think things. If you think them through, they're not really scriptural, and they're not going to work the way we've been using them. But we've kind of formed this to fit our narrative or catch Satan, make him pay back seven times. I don't think there's many Christians that have enough, that much faith to make Satan pay back seven times. But look at the next verse, and this is what threw me when I started studying it out. 
But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding, he that doeth it destroys his own soul. I'm like, well, what in the world is that scripture there doing in there after catching a thief and making pain back seven times? What, what is this adultery business? Why is that in there? And why does it follow this? Well, he goes on and he said, A wound and dishonor shall he get, his reproach shall not be wiped away. If you go back to the restitution laws in Exodus 22, adultery was the most severe act that anybody could commit. And it was punishable by more than sevenfold. Because, look up at verse 29. So he that goeth in to his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her, shall not be innocent. And then the 27th verse, can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? I mean, you think of adultery, but and he talks about a man taking another man's wife, but the, there's women that are involved in this too. Verse 26, for by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread. And the adulterer, adulteress will hunt for the precious life. <laughs> uh, let me tell you how to uh, avoid these kind of things. When you sense something is going on that it's not right, what should you do? Run for your life. <laughs> Get out of the situation. Run for your life. But I just wanted to show you here, if you put this scripture verse in its setting, he's talking about advice against immorality, disobedience and he's using he's going all the way back to Exodus chapter 22 and picking up the laws of restitution and that's what he's talking about when he says don't despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his soul if he fail if he's found make him restore sevenfold go back and read all that there's all kinds of restoration uh, restitution that is to be made to those uh, that have uh, been um, uh, victims of thievery or something stolen from them. So back to my when I woke up and all of a sudden the Lord said, this is not about running after the devil to get back what he stole. It's about ownership. It's about who owns the earth. Now you take what's going on right now in Russia. Uh, you can start all the way back to Marx and Lenin and Stalin and Mao Zedong and Hussein and uh, just who? Hitler, yeah, Hitler was uh, the one we know the most about. And all of it, their whole MO was to control the earth, was to take over the earth. Hitler really <clears throat> set out, he had a goal of killing 11 million Jews. He only succeeded in killing 6 million Jews. Uh, I met the man that wrote the book, How to Kill 11 Million People, Andy Andrews, and I bought the book. How to Kill 11 Million People. And when you open it up, it says you lie to them. That's what Hitler did. He lied to them. Told them to get in this boxcar. We're going to take you to a new town, a new home, a new school, a new job. They got in the boxcars and wound up in the death camps. He lied to them. We are being lied to on a daily basis. Uh, the funny thing about the, Andy, he's a funny guy, but he had written this book. He had the manuscript in his briefcase, and he was on, getting on a plane, flying somewhere. And they stopped him and wanted him to go through security, and they wanted him to open up his briefcase. And so when he did, his manuscript fell out, How to Kill 11 Million People. So they arrested him. <laughs> they thought he was a terrorist. And he said, no, 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 that's a book I'm writing. Uh, but we're, we're lied to all the time, and... You know, Hitler wanted to own the earth, and Putin wants to own the earth. So God said it's not about running after the devil, getting back what he stole, and that's not where you should exercise all your energy and spend your time. You should realize that it's about ownership, Amen. and it started in the Garden of Eden. Amen. It's about who owns the creation. Now let's go over there. Let's go to Genesis. Are you all still here? Yes, sir. Let's go to Genesis and let's look at chapter 1 and verse 26. God said, let's make man 
in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle, over all the earth, every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him, male and female created them. I have heard some strange doctrines here lately. You know, the Lord told me several years ago, I call it my proverb. He says, what you know, you know. What you think you know, you don't. And what you don't know, you will. And I have found that to be true. I'm still learning some things. Well, I heard uh, in, in a message, and you may have heard it too, there's nothing new under the sun. It's Satan just recycles stuff and puts a new cover on it and peddles it again and people buy it. But I heard a, a description of this verse here that God, when he made Adam, he reproduced himself. And I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it and more meditated on it. I thought, that's not right. God didn't repro reproduce himself in Adam. That would have made Adam incarnate. And there's only one incarnate man right. in the Bible, yeah. and his name is Jesus. Right. He's the only incarnate person listed in the Bible. God didn't say he made himself. He said that he made him after his image and likeness, which was he made Adam a spirit being so he could fellowship with him, so he could operate the laws of God. And you, you got to, I'm not trying to be a nitpicker or a critic, but you, you have to make sure you understand uh, the truth uh, of the Bible. So God created Adam in his own image. And you see Adam functioning like God. He, he called and named the animals. He called and uh, the, the ordination of marriage. He, he called and named everything. Adam gave names to all the cats. He's speaking. He's a speaking spirit. He's calling things. Like God told Abraham, call things that are not as though they were. And if you ever get a chance to go to Lexington, Kentucky, go on to the ark. It's a full size, built according to the Bible. Uh, it's absolutely uh, outstanding. Jeannie and our son Ronnie and his wife went up there a few years ago. We went through the ark. It's the exact same dimensions. Three football fields long, three stories high, and you can go through it. They even have the audio portion of what's going on outside when it's raining and thundering and lightning, and it moves, and you can hear the animals. They've got those piped in there too. And uh, they show you how they survived uh, all that time on, on the water, how they, they even grew some of their own food because there was only one window, and they built a kind of a window box up on the top floor so the sun would come in. They grew vegetables. Uh, they brought most of the food with them, most of the water with them. It, it's just amazing uh, what Noah did, yeah. Noah and his family. And for eight, eight people lived on that thing until it landed. And when all of the uh, harlotry and, and idol worship and adultery and all that stuff was going on on the earth, and then, you know, it all died because... <laughs> They all drowned in the flood, and then God started over uh, with him. So here's, here's what God said. I want you, and, and go down to, verse, uh, to chapter 2, to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man, put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. That was Adam's assignment. Take care of the earth. Take care of the creation. I'm not talking about... Uh, Climate control, I'm not talking about um, what some of the other names, the green, the uh, green what? Yeah, green, I'm not talking about any of that stuff. But God told Adam to take care of the earth. I, I get a periodical from uh, some college, I don't remember the name of it now, and they write articles about similar things. And the last article that I read it was about climate change. And they thought it was very interesting, and I did too. The founder of the Weather Channel, I think that's right, the founder of the Weather Channel wrote an article and said one of the biggest lies that has been told to the American people is climate change. Of course, it, it's changed its name. It used to be 
global warming. And, and the guy said, he said, it's all a lie. And he said, they're just, you know, making money after, after money after money after money. They're appropriating funds for all these organizations. Now, this is the guy that built and owns the Weather Channel. And he's writing an article in a university magazine saying <laughs> all this stuff is nonsense. Yeah. Moving right along. Okay. <laughs> um, let's go over to Psalm 8 now. Psalm 8. I want to continue with the idea here that um, God set man in, on the earth in the garden to till it and to keep it. Hold on to it. Psalm chapter 8, and let's look at verse 4. Uh, let's look at verse 3. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you've ordained, what is man? What is man that you are so mindful of him? And the son of man that you visited him, for you've made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. So God intended for Adam to take ownership of the earth, to take dominion, and not let Satan come in there and deceive. And of course, after he got that um, ownership and document from Adam, uh, he, the first thing he did was he tempted Jesus with it in Luke 4. When Jesus was in the wilderness, Satan came to him and said, If you'll worship me, all of this will be yours. That was a genuine temptation. But Jesus knew that it was not uh, right. He knew that, that, that Satan didn't own it. He had usurped that authority. But this is the pattern that you see all these world rulers. Uh, everybody that wants to rule the earth, they, they want to take ownership of the earth, of the world. And you go down through history. Uh, Napoleon Bonaparte, uh, Genghis Khan, all of these people uh, wanted to kill everybody except um, the ones that they wanted to rule and reign. And you can see that Putin and the Russians, I, I, you can't really blame the Russian people. They're afraid of him just like a lot of other people are. But he, he's killing his own people. He's uh, killing his uh, Russian uh, people. Uh, he's killing civilians. He doesn't care. You know, people say, what can we do to, uh, to stop him? Well, this is part of the last days. This is part of the perilous times. I mean, the Ukrainians uh, tried to take him out. They formed an assassination squad, and then one of our senators told uh, us in America that we needed to form an assassination uh, squad and go in there and kill Putin. It's not hard to do. It could be done. But there's so much... Uh, demonic activity and a public pressure and political pressure. You know, if you were uh, a Ukrainian Air Force pilot and you uh, were willing to die for your country, uh, all you'd have to do is get your squadron together and just fly those jets into the Kremlin. I mean, you know you're going to die anyway. Might as well just take Putin out too. Hello. You know, that's what the kamikazes did in World War II. They just dove, drove those airplanes into the ships. They didn't care. They committed uh, suicide. Yeah. There's, all, there's always a way to get rid of these people. But, you know, the church, our assignment, you can't, you can't get off into, uh, you know, thinking thoughts like Jesus told Peter, James, and John they wanted to call fire down from heaven and kill these people? And Jesus said, well, boys, wait a minute. said, uh, you don't know what spirit you're of. He said, I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save them. Okay. The earth is the Lord's. He has given it to us by decree. He's given it to us to take ownership of. He's given it to us to take dominion, oversight, and to rule. He's given us ownership privilege. According to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, which we read. How am I doing on my time? I'm, I think I'm running out of time. 
20 minutes left. Wow, okay. Genesis 2.15. And the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to dress it and to keep it. Commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. When the day you eat thereof, you shall die. Okay. Let's go to... Uh, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut a little bit out of this because I've got a lot to cover, but I, we'll be back and do it another time. Let's go to Luke 19. Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. And let's look at verse 12, Luke 19, 12. Uh, one of the best ways that I know to show you the difference between being an owner and being a steward is to contrast it with being a son and being a servant. Let's look at Luke 17, 19, verse 12. Luke 19, verse 12. Uh, he said, this is Jesus, A certain nobleman went to a far country to receive himself a kingdom and to return. He called his ten servants. Say servants. And delivered them ten pounds and said, Occupy till I come. That's what we're supposed to be doing as the church company. We're supposed to be occupying, taking dominion. Now don't get this mixed up with the kingdom now teaching. It's, it's so subtle. Kingdom now basically says we're going to take over, Christians, we're going to take over and the church is going to become a legislative body and we're going to take over and we're going to bring everything under control and then Jesus can come back. No. Jesus is going to come back and set up his own kingdom. We're not going to set up his kingdom. But the kingdom now, folks, believe that that's our assignment. We're going to bring everything under subjection and we're going to subdue and we're going to set up the kingdom and then we'll say, okay, Jesus, you can come back. We've got everything under control. Not going to happen. Jesus is going to come and set up his own kingdom. And it says that in the Bible, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of the Christ. Kingdom of the Christ. Okay, so these are servants. They were told to occupy. But his citizens hated him, sent a message after him, saying, we'll not have this man rule over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, when he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money talents that he might know how much every man gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Lord, you gave me 10 pounds. And he said, well, good and faithful servant. And I gained 10 pounds. He said, well, good and faithful servant, because you've been faithful and very little, have authority over 10 cities. Then verse 18, and the second one came, said, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. Another one came and said, Behold, here's your pound, which I've kept laid up in the napkin. Did you notice the language here? He said, uh, there is your pound. He never took ownership of what the Lord gave him. I've kept it laid up in the napkin. For I feared you because you're an austere man. You've taken up, you laid not down, you've reaped where you didn't sow, which is not possible because you have to sow to reap. And he saith unto him, Out of your own mouth will I judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man. You thought I was an austere man. Then you should have taken up what I laid not down, the reaping that I did not. And, excuse me. I was an austere man, taking up what I laid not down, and reaping what I did not sow. Wherefore, uh, then gave us not thou money into the bank. My money. He called it his money. So he said, you should, if, you, if you really thought it was my money, and you didn't take ownership of it, you should have put it in the bank that I have, might have required my own with user. In other words, you should have made interest, paid interest. That's a good steward. I mean, a good servant. Yeah. Yeah. Hello? Amen. Okay. Now, let's go over to Matthew 25, verse 14, and it's basically going to give you uh, the same information. But I want to call your attention to verse 15. 
And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability. So he gives us according to our ability. Some of us have five talent ability. Some have two talent ability. And some have one talent ability. That's not to minimize or make God out of respect or persons. But it's to let you know God knows what you can do. And he gives you something to do. He knows you can do it. Now, let's go over to uh, Acts, the fourth chapter. Acts, the fourth chapter. And let's look at verse 32. Acts chapter 4. Are you all getting anything out of this at all? Acts 4. Verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that any of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Now out of that, those that say we don't own anything, they like to read this scripture. I don't own anything. I don't, I don't have anything. It's not mine. It's all God's. And I don't have anything. And they use this scripture. Neither said any of them that any of the things which he possessed, but notice, they owned some things. That's right. But they had all things common. This is not communal living. This is not uh, communism, socialism. This is not taking from the rich and giving to the poor. This is an attitude. And Timothy says those that are rich in this world be willing to share, be willing to give. And that's all they were saying. They were saying, you know, God's blessed us and I'm willing to share with you. If you need this, I'll give you this or whatever. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all because of their attitude. Neither was there any among them that lacked. Now listen very carefully to the language. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses, sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made every man according as he had need. Now you can't sell land and houses that you don't own. That's fraud. So they had to own something. It says they own. They own the houses. They own the lands. And they sold them. And they gave a distribution out of what they sold to help those that were in need. Hello, are you here? Amen. I was telling Pastor uh, Jeannie and I pastored for one church 35 years and the church before that two years. So a total of 37 years. And we had a, a man come see me one day. He came on a Saturday morning, knocked on my carport door. And he said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. I said, okay, uh, what about? He said, well, you know, in Mark 10, 29, 30, it says whatever you give uh, uh, to the Lord, you get a hundredfold return. I said, yeah. He says, it says houses, lands, or wives. He said, I'd like to give my wife for the gospel. <laughs> and what, what was going on was that he was having eyes for a woman in the congregation. He wanted to get rid of his wife so he could marry this woman. And I said, now Jeannie and I both were sitting there and we just kind of looked at him like, are you crazy? You can't. I said, you can't give your wife for the gospel's sake. You don't own her. <laughs> you didn't buy her. You're in a covenant relationship. You can't, you can't give her for the gospel's sake. And I wish I'd have thought. I didn't think quick enough. I, I wish I'd have said, oh, have you read the rest of the verse? You'll get a hundredfold return. You want, you want a hundred more just like her? <laughs> but we sometimes contour and fit the narrative in the scriptures to fit our own desire. Job did that. God said, you've condemned me so you could be justified. We want to justify ourselves. We want to make the scriptures fit what we want and what we need. So here's, here, it goes on. It goes down to uh, Acts chapter 5 and verse 4. 
And, uh, well, you know what happened. Verse 1, a certain man named Ananias, Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. They kept back part of the price. His wife, being privy to it, brought a certain part and laid the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Now listen to this. While it remained, was it not your own? He was an owner. He owned the land. He said, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own power? You own the land, you sold it, you own the money. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, gave up the ghost, and great fear came on them and heard these things. Young men arose, wound him up, carried him out, and buried him. I bet that got everybody's attention. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. Peter answered unto her, Tell me, uh, whether you sold the land for so much? And she said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which you buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out too. And she fell down and died. They blasphemed. They lied to the Holy Ghost. And you know he made it very clear. You own the land. You sold the land. It was your land. You can do what you want to with the money. I'll never forget when I first got saved, Jeannie and I went to a revival at a Pentecostal church. And I had just gotten my tax return money. And I had cashed the check and I had all this money in my pocket. I mean, all this money. Back in those days, it might have been two, three hundred dollars. And I said, I got all this money in my pocket. And I made the mistake of going to this revival. <laughs> and the revivalist, I mean to tell you, he could preach heaven high and hell hot. And he said, now I want you to come down here and you give this offering. And he said, and that includes everything you've got in your pocket. Oh. I said, oh, what do I do? And the Lord said, well, it's yours. You can do with it what you want. Yeah. Hello. Amen. Well, I went down and gave it all. I said, well, I might, have, I might as well err on the side of, <laughs> of uh, <clears throat> doing good according to the scriptures. I've never regretted that. Well, I did it at the time, but I knew I was giving it to God. It was mine. I could have done with it what That's I wanted. Right. That's right. Amen. Back in those days, they, some people let so-called prophets prophesy their money out of their pockets into their pockets and other pockets. Okay. I'm going to stop here for today. I would love to go to Luke 15. This is the big contrast uh, to show you the difference between owners and stewards and sons and servants. Let me give you a little preview. We've got a few minutes. Anybody got to go home? Luke 15. Uh, Luke 15, you know, I, I've, uh, there's so much in the scriptures that we have used, I, I'm talking about pastors have used to hammer on people. You know, we use that scripture over in Hebrews, it says, uh, don't forsake the uh, assembling of yourselves together. Well, you know, why aren't you here? Why aren't you here on Sunday nights? Where are you? I didn't see you last week. Where are you? What are you doing? How come you're not here? I, I used it. Like a lot of pastors, you preach it and, and you know. So I took a poll one night. Uh, I asked people to fill out a sheet of paper. How many services a week do you attend? You attend Sunday night? No. Why? Why not? Well, it's really none of my business. But they filled it out said, I'm working. A lot of people were working in medical, you know, they had to work shifts and corporations and whatever. And there was this one lady in the church. And, you know, it's hard for pastors. They don't like to be rebuked or argued with or criticized. But there's one lady in the, in the church. She was very honest, and she wrote and told me. She said, Pastor, you won't know why I don't come to church? She said, in the first place, it's none of your business. In the second place, I don't drive at night. 
so I'm not coming at night. I mean, that's what, that, that's what she told me. And she let me know every year when the, 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 uh, the time changed. When it got dark at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, she said, I just want to let you know I won't be coming to church all winter <laughs> on Sunday night. I'll be coming Sunday morning, but I won't be on Wednesday night or, or Sunday night. <laughs> she rebuked me. I know the Bible says not to rebuke an elder, but she was, uh, I, I wasn't an elder then. I wasn't as old as I am now, but anyway, she, she let me know, don't try to strap that on me. Don't try to, you know, condemn me, make me feel convicted. She said, I'll come when I want to. Okay. And many times the same woman, I would see her sitting back right over here. And while I am preaching away, she is sitting there reading a paperback novel. And that used to really bother me. I'm preaching here and she's not paying attention. She's just reading a, you know, a dime novel. And she wasn't even paying attention to what I was saying or to me at all. And we formed a membership class. And she came up to me one day, and the membership class was a bit much. Larry, I don't know if you all remember this. We had a membership class. You had to go eight weeks. Every Sunday night, we started at six, so you had to be there at five. Eight weeks. We finally reduced it down to, Ron, do you remember what it was? Five, six, four weeks, something like that four weeks and we reduced it down because we knew that's this and she came up to me and she said pastor I won't be going to that membership class I said oh why not she said I know as much as you do I don't need to learn anything that you you you, you can't teach me any more than what I always already know I thought okay she's writing me letters she ain't coming to church unless she wants to she's reading a dime novel while I'm preaching and she told me she's not going to become a, a member by going through that class. She died, and she wanted me to do her funeral. And I did, and she was there. But that verse is really talking about in the end times, at the end of time, don't get caught up in the culture and the world and don't let you know things get hold of you. Don't forsake, and a lot of people have, you know, in the church. The, the pandemic shut a lot of churches down, and they've not, they've not really uh, started back up again uh, because people have gotten comfortable staying at home, staying, watching on TV or watching online. And so that's, that's what he's saying. You're not, you're not necessarily dealing with your church attendance. Remember when you used to go to church and get a star uh, every time you went to Sunday school or whatever? We're not talking about that. <laughs> but don't let the devil steal you away. Don't let the devil lie to you and think it's not important because it is important for us to come together with each other. Well, if you read this whole story, this is what we've been called, we've been calling this the prodigal son. In verse 11 it says, A certain man had two sons. And I'll just read this first verse. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Give me my inheritance. He's a son. He's not a servant. Now you know the story. He went out and squandered all of his, uh, all of his inheritance. He was eating slop in the pig pen. Now that, that's not good for a Jewish boy. And he had a thought. He said, why am I out here living like this when my father's servants are eating plenty? So he went back home, repented, and said, Father, I repent. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Just make me a servant. You notice the father's reply? He didn't reply. Because you can't make a servant out of a son. A son is born into the family. Daughters are born into the family. Amen? When my father died, he told me, he said, here's what's going to happen, son. 
He said, you and your sister are going to get a cash disbursement out of my trust fund. And he said, uh, and then here's the, the will, the trust fund, and he showed it all to me. You're going to be the executor of the state and all that kind of stuff. And after all that transpired, I was sitting there thinking about it one day, and I thought, you know, Lord, this is just absolutely almost too good to be true. He said, what? I said, my daddy was the greatest generation. Went through the Depression, fought World War II, came home, rebuilt America. I said, he worked hard for his money. I, I, I didn't earn any of this. I didn't do anything to deserve any of this. I said, the only thing that qualified me to be an heir was I was born his son. And the Lord smiled and said, yeah, and that's all you did to become my heir is you got born again. You got born into the family, and that qualified you. So you're an owner and a son. That's who you are. But what you do is you serve and you're a steward. So servants and stewards, that's what you do. Sons and owners is who you are. I rest my case. I'll be back next month maybe. Um, and we'll continue with this. There's a whole lot more. I had a guy, I was teaching this on uh, Arkansas Live, and a guy emailed me, and he said, man, he said, I never heard anything like this before. He said, this is deep. I'm going to have to meditate on this. So let's everybody stand. Uh, am I going to dismiss, or you need to say something? Okay. And I'll go sit down. Thank you all for coming. And I know sometimes when you have an hour service, Sometimes it's easy if you live a long way off to say, well, why bother for an hour? It takes me that long to get there. But hopefully the Holy Ghost will minister to you. Amen. Well, I trust you have your giving ready. Praise God. We'll have our ushers come tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. When you're ready to sow tonight, why don't you just come from where you're at, come rejoicing tonight, giving. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. God's good to us. the Lord. Well, Father, we just thank you for the seeds that have been sown tonight. We thank you, Father. We lift them up to you. <clears throat> and we thank you, Lord, that it's precious seed, as you said in your word. And you said, he that goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless return again, bringing his harvest with him, rejoicing. And we thank you that that's the case. And as your people have given tonight, I call them blessed. I call them favored. I call them healed in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Hurry up. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Ushers. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's stand up tonight, shall we? Praise the Lord. Good to see everybody tonight. God is so good to us. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's say that one time. Say, it's not about running after the devil. It's about ownership. Oh, hallelujah. God's so good. Amen. Well, don't forget, of course, Wednesday night, Brother Jerry will be with us. And uh, we're looking forward to a good meeting uh, on Wednesday. And uh, then the scheduled services are the same throughout the week. So praise God. We so appreciate Pastor and Miss Jeannie coming and being a part of this. We're so grateful for them. Amen. God is so good. Long. Yeah. When Jerry comes Wednesday night 
we plan on being here. When pastor introduces him and he comes up, everybody just go, Jerry, 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 Jerry. He'll know that I've messed with you. Hallelujah. You heard my father, so let's, that's what we'll do. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, God bless you. Let's say it together tonight, shall we? The vision of this church is to build people's faith and frame their world by the word of God. You and I will always be world changers. God